Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. And if you're just new in the church this week and it's the first time we're here, welcome. You've come in the middle of a series. You know, remember that series 24? It was like 24 hours and everything changed. He was almost like saves the world in 24 hours. You've arrived in like week number seven. I'm sorry, but that's where it is. And, and we're on this incredible journey of discovering the gospel through the lens of this letter written to the churches in this area called Galatia. And what's happened is Paul, a father to this area, a father preach of the gospel in this area, has preached the gospel and, and 14 years before, and in those years, other teachers have come behind him and have started adding to the gospel. They're just saying, actually, Jesus brilliant. Jesus amazing. He's perfect. But actually, what you, you just need to do that circumcision thing because we're actually from the lineage of the Jewish tradition, and actually, you need to go through the same stuff. You, you just need to make sure you observe the Sabbath in this way that we do. You just need to make sure, you just need to add a few of these things. It doesn't sound bad. And Paul is saying, actually, if you add to the gospel, you don't get more perfection. You get distortion, get brokenness. You cannot add to the gospel. Yeah. He's saying it's not just another version of Christianity. It's another religion. Massive. So we have to get the truths of this amazing letter and this incredible book of Galatians. So we're jumping into chapter 3, and I want us to jump right in. Can I say two quick things before I do? I've got notes. That's why notes are helpful. You should use them more often. The fires in Nazna. Guys, I've said, what are we doing as a church? How are we helping? As a church, I trust you are jumping in, not literally to the fire, but you are jumping in to help and be part of the answer. But here's what we also think. We don't have to have our name, the Life Changes name, attached to every venture. There are amazing, amazing ventures doing amazing, amazing things. Jumping in. From pick and pay, you can buy stuff online, they'll deliver it. Through to DHL, they'll take anything through. There are so many amazing ventures and ways to help that we felt we didn't need to have our own. Is that all right? We didn't need our name and nothing. But here's what we do need. We need to be forefront, front-footed, jumping in to help. And I would ask that you would trust God. And here's the feedback. They've got thousands of blankets and thousands. They actually need money to start rebuilding, to help people rebuild and get to this tough economic zone for that area. So pray for them. And I ask, can we get our hands dirty to make sure we are helping and and getting stuck in? And secondly, marriage boot camp was Friday night. I want to commend and thank all those who took the time out. Can I ask if you are married, getting married, that you would take the time to actually listen to it? Because here's why we're doing it. This is a major area of brokenness in our nation, a major area of brokenness in our area, and a major area of brokenness in our marriage, in our, in our world. And we said, we want to take these times up. We want to prioritize these because here's the thing. Marriages in neutral dear aren't staying in the same place. They are drifting. We don't drift towards intimacy. We don't drift towards a great marriage. We get there by putting our marriage in gear and going there. And I would really ask and challenge, and even if you're saying, I I long for marriage, I I see that as part of my future, I I desire that, I would also ask, would you listen? There's nothing there that is hidden or that you can't listen to. Um, I really feel like God is doing something, and and He wants to turn the statistics, the broken statistics of 50% divorces around, and it starts with the church. And marriages are some of the greatest signs and wonders pointing to an amazing king. So is that all right? An encouragement and, and, and exciting what God is doing in this area. So we're jumping into Ephesians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. I was just testing. Thank you. Just testing. 
That song was from Galatians, eh? not a few, okay. And 1 Timothy 4 says this, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to teaching and teaching, teaching and preaching and teaching. It's all in there, really. It's been a long day. But um, we are going to read a whole chunky bit of the Scripture. And God's going to do things. But actually, when you read the Scripture, you could go, wow, what is going on there? And I want to give you a little bit of a context. In the first five verses, he basically gives them a club. But, but I want you to picture this. I don't want you to picture a, a little cross man behind a desk sitting in suburbia somewhere writing a letter because he's too busy to go there himself, chastising the church. That's not what this is. Who watched Taken, the original, with Liam Neeson? Who watched that? And I, I, I know, like, I didn't even have kids at the time. I felt myself gripped to that chair. I was gripping the arms of that chair, so I think they were still deformed. I was so angry about that his daughter had been taken. Please, as you read this book and you understand, would you understand Paul as a father with a father's heart who'd brought the gospel, which brought freedom, and those gospel children, in a sense, have been corrupted and are being pulled back into a form of slavery. If we water it down to anything less, we're going to miss it. And when you hear his strong language, hear the language of a father calling children who have been pulled and lured into slavery, calling them back out. If you miss that... I think we missed the heart of the book. Is that all right? So Galatians chapter 3, it carries on, and then he gets introduced to Abraham, and I'm going to explain Abraham tonight. Then we see Jesus in that amazing line in, in, in the song that we sang, that Jesus becomes our curse, and then he lands back on the poster boy of the Jewish nation named Abraham. Let's go on a journey together. You foolish Galatians, reasonably strong, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain if it really was in vain? So again, I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by works of the law or by your believing what you have heard? So Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham, saying all nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything in the book of the law. Clearly no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles, us, through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Here's an amazing part. He says, brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. 
Scripture does not say, and two seeds, meaning many people, but and two seed, meaning one person, who is Christ. What I mean is this. The law, introduced 430 years later, does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise. But God, in His grace, gave it to Abraham through a promise. Why then was the law given at all? I'm going to stop there. Can I pray for us quickly, Jesus? Father, Holy Spirit, we come tonight. I thank you for your word. Thank you for this letter that was written by a father representing your heart, fighting for the freedom of the church. This is written to the church, God, I pray. Let our hearts be open, let our thoughts be open, and I pray, would your word speak, would your truth speak, bring life, liberty, and freedom tonight. Thank you for the freedom that that some have already received. I pray for every one of us, the fullness of the freedom that you have for us. Thank you, Jesus. Call tonight, Believing the Promise. I really need some water because I can see about three spit marks on my one little laptop, iPad. And um, I just want to remind us, we're on this journey and Paul is fighting for one big thing that often we don't mention in the church because it's kind of one of those big words, but it's this word, justification. It's the big thing that Martin Luther fought for. It's a big thing of the Protestant Reformation. It's a big thing. And I want to put the definition up before you again. So we keep getting it. And by the end of it, I trust we can all get it. But it's this. God's act of removing the guilt and penalty of sin, while at the same time declaring a sinner righteous through Christ's atoning sacrifice. It's God's act. He declares that we are righteous because of Jesus. We've got to get this. These can't just be left up to, oh, well, those are the theologians. No, every one of you, the minute you gave your life to Jesus, whether it was tonight or years ago, you have to go on a journey of understanding God and growing in God. And I said this morning, we've got a partnership course where we mentioned three C's, to celebrate together, to connect together, and to contribute together. And I want to add a four to it, to commit to grow together. Because it's got to be C, so now we have four C's. You get that, commit. Was that good? That was good, eh? But that we will commit to grow. That we are called to be on a journey growing to be like Jesus. And I keep making the statement. I'm going to keep making it. We are believers. That's how we are described in the Bible. What we believe is very important. It's not an aside. Well, I'm just going to become mates with this church. I'm going to be relational. Actually, no. What we believe even as a church is very important. So we've got to go on journeys to grow in that. And so to... Chapter 2 finishes off and Peter reminds them that justification is only by faith and the, in the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. And Galatians 3, he takes us on this journey and he says this. He gives them a smack and he, he states the obvious. We all have a tendency to drift towards foolishness. He says, you foolish Galatians. Maybe he's a little over emotional. Maybe he's excited. Maybe he's just fighting. If you saw your kids drifting towards people down the road who you know were selling drugs or something they shouldn't be doing, you would fight for them, I trust and I hope. And you would get emotional. Relationships are emotional. Actually, even the gospel should allow us to rise up with emotion. Not that we are driven by our emotion, we are driven by the passion of God for His children. And here's the reality. Since Adam, man has always struggled because he's always drifted and had a tendency to drift towards foolishness. Think of Adam and Eve. An apple... Or God, an apple 
or God. Then they go out of there and they kept running to crazy idols and God takes his people, he rips them out of slavery, he takes them away from whips and chains into freedom and they go, actually we'd rather go back there because we, we don't get three meals a day in the desert. So God provides the three meals a day. What do they do? Actually, I'm going to worship idols. That sounds great. Idols that can't do anything. We have a tendency to drift towards foolishness. So in chapter 2, Paul had presented them with Titus. Remember Titus and Barnabas, those two mates who went on the road trip with him? He says, actually, here's Barnabas. They're going to get him because he was previously Jewish, and, and he's got their traditions in their ways. But I'm going to take Titus, and I'm going to describe him again, a full-on bacon-eating, it's a good one, eh? Bacon-eating Greek, uncircumcised, pork-sandwich-loving, new non-Jew lover of Jesus. Like everything you shouldn't be. It's not my description, but it's still very good. It's everything you shouldn't really be. If you're going to add to Jesus, he's everything you don't like. He doesn't tick the boxes. And so, but then Paul realizes, actually, with this drift, there's a massive, massive challenge. And he says, actually, I'm going to, in chapter 3, I'm going to come with an even stronger argument. I'm going to put their poster boy in front of them. The poster boy of the Jewish nation. The poster boy that they had heralded, that they had shouted about, that they, the, 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 the legends would have echoed through the generations and become bigger and bigger and bigger about how amazing he was and how perfect he was. See, it would be a challenge to them. It's a challenge with poster boys. The marketers know, unfortunately, it works. That's why they spend millions on it. But often it backfires. If we could just have that first picture up, please. It backfired with this guy. Lance Armstrong, the poster boy of recovery from cancer, the poster boy of health, the poster boy of integrity, the poster boy of give money to my foundation and I'll make sure, all comes tumbling down on a lie. A couple of others, we've got Michael Phelps and he wins um, all the Olympics um, medals, only to be, rather than eating Cocoa Pops, popping marijuana and doing all that stuff. It was a challenge. It's like where it really fails is when Jacques Cullis with his hair falling out in the cricket field is advertising shampoo. I, re- I struggled with that poster boy reality. It really used to irk me. Now his hair's back. It's a miracle. Um, and Tiger Woods, another obvious one. You know the one that hurt me as a young man? I went to watch um, three of South Africa's greatest cricketers come together. And they were telling their testimonies. I was like, Wow. I was 12 years old, 13 years old. I was influenceable. I was a cricketer. I love these guys. Hansi Krunier. John T. Rhodes and Andrew Hudson. It was a couple of years later, John T. Hansi, the devil made me do it. I was crushed. Because that was a poster boy, not just cricket, but actually a believer who'd seen success in their life. Yeah. Then John T. Rhodes, years later, leaves his wife. And the headline in the, in the newspaper in Durban was this. Only one still standing. It's radical. So why Abraham? Why would he choose Abraham? Why was he so clever? Because understand, Paul's a clever man. He knew the Jewish nation. He understood their ways. And he's fighting for them. But he's got to bring some things in front of them to convince them to go on this journey with them. So who was Abraham really? It says in Galatians 3 verse 6, So also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. He's saying there's one thing Abraham did. He believed God, believed him again, he believed him again, he believed him again. So we've got to understand, well, who is Abraham? Well, he wasn't actually the poster boy. He, he was not particularly godly when he was justified. 
He was a moon worshiper previously, a pagan moon worshiper from a place called Ur. How many people know you don't trust a guy from a place called Ur? It's like, Ur. Where are you from, Ur? No. You can't. <laughs> what? No, Ur. No. Sorry, I'm going to move on. But, but he was justified. He wasn't even really a Jew. They've claimed him because of God, but he wasn't a Jew at the time. There was no Jewish nation. He wasn't circumcised when he was justified. Unfortunately, God asked him to be circumcised later. Some of you are like, can he still do that? Can God still ask? No, relax. He needed to. It was before Jesus. He, he wasn't baptized. You want to answer the question, can someone be saved and justified without being baptized? The Bible points us back to Abraham and says, God revealed it then, way before the law. You see, the amazing thing about this guy is he wasn't the first guy who had walked with God. He wasn't the first guy who had faith in God. He was the first guy who God said his faith had justified him. His faith had reckoned him righteous. First guy. So an incredible man. And, and, and Paul in his cleverness points back and he's saying, actually, that's the gospel. All that guy did, that previous moon worshiper who loved bacon sandwiches and couldn't even sing any of the Jewish songs. You know that would have offended the Jews. They had Jewish song. Can you sing a Jewish song? Baruch Bashem Adonai, Alleluia. There was a girl at a Messianic church I liked. So I used to pop in there. I learned that song. Alleluia, <laughs> Alleluia. But um, it carries on. It's actually quite, comes with a cool beat later. And, um, but Paul is saying, that's the gospel, believing incredible. And then verse 7, it carries on. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Those who have faith. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, us, and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the main of faith. He's saying the only two children of God are those who have been declared righteous because of one thing, faith. Not faith, I can do this. Faith, I have got this. No, faith in Jesus. By faith alone. And I want to, there's an incredible portion of scripture where it speaks about Jesus and we sang it. I want to come back to it at the end. But it says actually there was this curse and it makes the statement, Jesus Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. That's what the cross was. It was a curse. And the curse was this separation from God, to be set outside of the camp, to be cut off from his benefits as the son of God for a time. It was a curse. And the promise of the gospel is that whole curse that should have landed on me that was my curse given to Jesus, who was perfect. And the goodness of the Father is demonstrated in that, that my curse lands on him. And when the Father sees me, he sees his righteousness. It's incredible. It blows my heart every time in my mind. But I want to jump ahead a little bit to this amazing thing, because I want to center on the promise. Is that all right? We're going to carry on. But verse 15, brothers and sisters, Paul softens it up a little bit. He wants them now. He's saying, brothers and sisters, Let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. He's saying, you you know this stuff. 
you know that contracts and covenants, once they've been established, once the oaths have been stated, and once they've been signed, they're done. You can't change them. Now, I know the reality is for many here, there is no family trust. There's no real concept of covenant. Covenant was stated at your parents' wedding and they got divorced. It's been to other weddings and, and, and they got divorced. And you're like, well, covenant's something cheap. In that time, they understood covenant. So we have to get an understanding. And the best picture I can give you is the picture of a trust. Rory came and when he shared a story, he said, his father on his dying bed wrote a letter. He said, my grandson, Thomas, and he spelt his name wrong. He says, my grandson Thomas, the trust, the family trust will pay for his full education at this school. Done. And then he passed away. You know what won't change? Is the allocation of those funds to Thomas to go for that school. It cannot be changed. It's a trust. And the whole point of a trust is that his will was poured into this trust. And that trust is established by an oath and signed, and it cannot be changed. Here's the amazing thing about a trust. It's generally written for the generations to come. It's a wealthy man sits down and says, if I pass away, my children and their children, some still to be born, will receive the benefits of everything I have. It will go to them. It goes to them in full. You know the amazing thing about that? Those kids, be it the first generation or the second generation, have generally done nothing. They've done nothing. Paul is saying there is a covenant that a father made, and it's established. It cannot be changed. And it is given to children who've done nothing. That's you and I. It's the gospel right there. I think it's amazing. I, I, I don't come with a family where we had a family trust. But it doesn't mean I don't have a glorious inheritance. There are unbelievable benefits, but I want to carry on. Verse 16, the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to seed, meaning one person, who is Christ. See, Paul did his homework and notes that these promises of this covenant were given to Abraham and his seed. And he does a little bit of legal mind work. And he said, guys, we've we got to go back to the original. We've we got to dig in there. Because the Jewish people had believed that, Paul, that Abraham would be given this promise, you will be a father to the nations. So they claimed him as their father. And they said, surely then we get an inheritance because we are part of his seed. But Paul comes and says, actually, guys, the use of the language there is not plural. It's seed. It's singular. He says, actually, the lineage of, of Abraham, if you follow it down, is Jesus. Yeah. Even the Jewish people will not argue with that. It lands on the seed. It says the promise of the covenant wasn't for his seeds, it was for his seed. Yeah. It's important that we get that. Sometimes we've got to do the work. It says the target of this covenantal promise. See, what, what a trust does, what Rory Dyer's father's trust, Ian Dyer does, to James, who is only six years old, will live in the benefits of that trust for the rest of his life, even if he does absolutely nothing with it, even if he squanders it, it reveals that this man was a generous man who loved, loved, without condition. And it, the promise and the gift of to Jesus the seed, see, he makes a covenant and God's goodness was fashioned to his seed, to Jesus. That's why Jesus plus nothing is the only way. Are you getting it? I feel like some of you are looking at me like, help him, Lord. Verse 17, 
What I mean is this. The law, this is Paul speaking, he's still doing his work. He's trying to fight for them. He's Liam Neeson fighting. You got it. Can I stop saying that picture? If you don't like violence, don't go watch it. Please, just a little disclaimer. What I mean is this. The law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. He's saying this. The way of salvation is fixed and settled when God swore an oath to Abraham. 430 years before the covenant. See what happens They don't put a whole bunch of T's and C's in there, generally, in a trust. I've seen the copy of that letter written by Ian Dyer to Thomas Dyer about his education. You know what's not in there? Thomas must get 70, 80% every term. You know what's not in there? Thomas must make rugby teams. You know what's not in there? Thomas must perform. You know what's not in there? Thomas must honor his parents. Nothing like that. It's just this kid, because he is my grandchild, will walk in the benefit of my goodness for the rest of his life, even if he does nothing. It's scandalous, guys. And you know and I know, as we walk with people that have inherited money and those stories, often squander it. It's a very real picture, often of the church. You've got to grip us. We've got to go back to the Word and say, God, explode my heart with the goodness of the gift and the promise that you have given. And he's saying this, guys, it doesn't matter what happened after. The law came, and next week, and, and in the weeks to come, we're going to look at the law, but why the law? We're going to look at them. We're going to have to explain that. He's saying, actually, but it came after. That oath was done. Don't add. You don't get to add the terms and conditions because you don't like how generous the father was. Rory can't go, well, Dad, you're dead now, but you don't know. Thomas is actually a naughty kid. Could you just put this? No, no. Ian dies, passed away. That is forever sealed and signed. And here's the big one that gripped me when I read it. Because I must be honest, when I first read the scripture, I thought, we're going to preach on this text. I went, where are we going, Lord? And this stood out to me. For if the inheritance depends on the law. See, I have an inheritance in my father. Then it no longer depends on the promise. But God, in his grace, gave it to Abraham through a promise. Saying this. If the inheritance that I'm walking into is in any way dependent on my ability to fill, to jump through the hoops, to make sure I hit the mark, then it no longer depends on the promise that the father made 430 years before the law to Abraham, a man who didn't deserve it. Here's the truth, guys. You don't deserve the goodness of God, neither do I. That's the gospel. And while I was still in my sin, while I was still in my mess, while I was still messing up, he breaks into my mess because he is that committed to his children. He breathes his life into me when I was dead and I come alive and I want to live for him. The dead come to life. We worship a God of miracles. The challenge when we sing that song, I believe in a God of miracles. When we sing that song, we default to healing. And I love healing. You know what the greatest healing is when the dead come to life? Quite passionate about this one. The hardest thing about the gospel is not knowing everything about it. It's just believing. And uh, got a story from my boys. Gabe told me a story about his little one. But I had the privilege of teaching my boys to swim. It's an amazing privilege. That little dude over there. 
You know what the amazing thing is? You take them in the pool, they start doing this, they go, and you hold them, and, and they know, they are so fearful of this foreign thing called water, they know that actually they can't keep themselves up. And so they cling onto you, they kind of grip to you, they hold onto you, they grab your hair and they try to get on top of your head and you just, you've got to console them and hold them. But even while you're holding them close, their little legs are still doing this. And it's not treading water, trust me. It's a picture of us. God says, I'm going to hold you close. And when we go, okay, but I'm just going to add getting up at six every day for the rest of my life, forever, just to please you. You know what we're doing? We're just kicking. Can't help us, but we're kicking anyway. And it keeps us, these white-knuckled Christians, holding on, barely holding on, not living in the life. You see, it says, actually, if you're going to live in the law, you need to find life in the law, and there's no life in the law. It's only life in Jesus. It says, stop kicking. Stop trying to earn justification his life is for you can't and throw yourself into the promise see abraham was given these promises and i'll be finished in a few moments he said this this moon worshiping dude who god breaks into his life gets this promise you'll become a great nation and a great name god will bless those he has blessed and curse those who have cursed him that eventually all nations will be blessed because of Abraham. Here's the amazing thing about Abraham's promise. We don't just know Abraham, we know his children and his grandchildren as amazing fathers of our faith. But there's the challenge. See, for Abraham, he did believe and he believed again and he believed again. He believed no matter how slow the promise took, how slow the process took. He believed even when the obstacles were great. He believed even when he felt exposed in the journey. Does it sometimes feel like you've got to believe, even though it's taking a bit longer than you hoped? Sometimes feel like the obstacles are big? Now, Abraham had those. I think sometimes we like to dumb these guys. They had it easier. It was just like in the desert. How much challenge could there be? <laughs> and it says, with faith and patience... But the most, it's not about a promise. It's about who gives it. You know, the challenge for us in 2017, we live in the age of broken promises. And not to pick on anyone, but I'm going to. Donald Trump said during his campaign that he would prosecute Hillary Clinton, get rid of the lobbyists, deport 11 million undocumented immigrants, and ban all Muslims. Three days after, it said, I'm not going to do any of those. I actually like Hillary. Why should we lock her up? Brexit, the day after the whole decision, they, they confessed that actually they put this campaign that we send the, the EU 350 million euros a week. The day after the campaign when they'd won, they announced actually that wasn't true. We just thought we needed to tell you. Better know than not know. See, we live in the age of broken promises when we say, no, that doesn't make you look fat. Thank you, Gabe, for that laugh. That was a good one. You know, was, or actually, Gabe, your daughter is beautiful. No, I'm joking. <laughs> but you walk up to every baby, and you haven't even looked at the baby, you say, I mean, you literally walk in the house, the baby's over there, you go, your daughter's beautiful, your son is beautiful. We just lie. But yours is beautiful, Gabe. Doesn't matter what Edwin says. And, um, but Paul is saying, 
the way to this and live in the fullness of this is to believe a promise given to a man 430 years before the law who didn't deserve it. He says, actually, those who believe receive that promise. The promise that was given because of a seed, Jesus. And all these years later, our only way to receive the promise is one thing, to believe a promise. It's hard for some people. Rory comes, he speaks about the father. Some of you have been beaten by your fathers. Some of you have been abused. Some of you have been abandoned. I, I can't believe the promise of our father. Some of your fathers made promise year after year after year after year. And now you've got to come to God and you've got to believe him for your eternity in the promise. And Paul's saying, yep. Yep, that's it. It's all it ever was. It's all it'll ever be. We are believers. What we believe is important. Abraham, the poster boy, was this. I did nothing but believe. The gospel is a way of persistent faith, of believing again and again and again. And the Bible says there'll be valleys, there'll be mountaintops. Will you believe in the valley? Will you believe in the mountaintop? Will you believe in the valley again? Will you believe in even maybe a tougher valley? See, a friend of ours is sitting in a hospital, just had a malignant brain tumor removed from his brain. He's 38 years old. He's given his life to serve the church. He's got three kids and a wife. Will you believe? And he writes a faithful letter to everyone on Facebook. He says, please don't lose courage. Please don't lose faith. Believe. I want that. I want that for you. That what we believe is important. Jesus plus nothing is the fullness of the promise of the gospel that I believe. That Paul is preaching. He's saying, receive it. Can I pray for us? I don't know if you... Is that alright? Is there anything else? Can we close our eyes just for... A minute. It feels like we're doing some hard work in the Bible, and I want to tell you don't stop. Go deeper. Go deeper. Allow the truth of the gospel to absolutely blow your mind. Here's the truth it is scandalous. It's Jesus plus nothing. Maybe your pastor, when you're sick, said it's, well, it's Jesus plus not wearing caps at church. That's what my pastor told me. I wore a cap every week after that. <laughs> Not because I understood this, just because I was a little bit rebellious. And so was my mom. But God says, I want to bring freedom. I've told you before, the climax of this book is it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. The, the climax of this book is your freedom. It's your freedom forever that no one can take away because it was established 430 years before the law came in thousands of years ago. It's for your freedom. God said, all you have to do is this one thing. In an age of broken promises, I want you to believe the promise that is in Jesus and let that truth explode in your heart. We thank you, Jesus.